0: where we're going to continue our discussion of our top five films to let you know a bit about where we stand film-wise our tastes and well that's about it, let's just crack on This is Craig, I'm Scott Morris and I'm Drew Uh So next up for me a film that perhaps betrays some of my um, sentimental side, which is Amelie, which is a fable, a fairy tale even of of loneliness of longing and of romance. It's about a child, Amelie Poulin, who was starved of affection as a youngster and detached and separated from society. But she nevertheless managed to maintain a huge capacity for love, affection and compassion. What she finds it difficult to do, though, is to expend that capacity on herself. So instead, she directs it towards others, even complete strangers. And that's where she finds her calling, her destiny, is, is to make other people happy, even if it's at the expense of doing it to herself. Now. It could be argued that as Amelie's help isn't sought, that she's simply an interfering nuisance, a busybody. <laughs> uh, playing with the lives of others is a way of avoiding reality and what is missing out in her own life.
1: I love sorry to be, I just I love that it is actually a film, an uplifting movie about an utter busybody, an utter interfering
0: prat. But you'll have perhaps guess that that's not the way I view Amelie. No,
1: nor, nor, I, nor uh, I.
0: I don't view it that way at all. Uh, she's an emotional recluse but she's got a large heart and she begins to find a use for that by bringing happiness to others. And her actions, some even very simple, like reconnecting a sad and lonely man with the simple joys of his childhood and then his family, mending the broken heart of a concierge or simply helping a blind man to experience the vibrancy of the street he's trying to cross are just the most touching, heartwarming, uplifting things. They bring more happiness into the world and therefore they bring more happiness to the viewer. There's an element of mischief and devilment to the character and Amelie finds ways to punish those who are cruel and unkind to friends and the same element of mischief and devilment exists in the film as a whole. I feel bad about it every time but one of the funniest moments comes from what should be the tragic, if absurd death of Amelie's mother. The, the film moves at a fast pace, it's a blur of smiles and colours, saturated with sumptuous reds and greens, through to a climax where the pace slows, almost stops, and here, some of the most touching moments, it allows Amelie to ruminate on what she's missing out on. In a scene where she's shown what she could be missing on video, which, like her, is at one remove from real life, Amelie reflects in the way that she has kept herself distanced from the world, and the power of the potential for regret and loss is almost overwhelming or it is to me anyway and the characters are played charmingly amelie in particular audrey tattoo has this warmth and vitality that just shines through the screen and the charm of the film is enhanced by animation and other effects that show amelie's mood and thoughts and they're part of the magic and fit into the setting in ways that similar devices in the likes of Ali McBeal resolutely failed to do. It. <laughs> I'm, gl-
1: I'm glad you went there. I thought you. Were <laughs> oh no, I was raising nothing. the spectre of Ali McBeal just to smack it down. Thank goodness yes. for that. Yeah, <laughs>
0: we'll say nothing. praiseworthy uh, will say nothing praiseworthy. <laughs> Ali McBeal, thank you very much. No, yeah,
1: uh, Amelie contains no dancing babies. <laughs> I
0: think it's one of the things that marked out Ali McBeal was that it tried to shoehorn those things in, and it yeah. just didn't work. Whereas in Amelie, it does. It fits. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a fantastical and unreal world. But it's populated with relatively flawed, interesting and amusing characters, and more important, with very real emotions.
2: It's
1: one of those brilliant, brilliant exits. It's a very difficult thing to pull off, but I hear people bandy about the phrase magical realism, Mm -hmm. and it's it's probably more difficult a tone to achieve than any other, I think, Mm -hmm. as a genre, because it often... People often overdo the whimsy or it's very hard to read it. I would point to this as being the perfect example of magical realism. Yep, I think so. this is the best that's been done in film. Mm.
0: Um, whimsy's a thing. Whimsy, whimsy is such a hard thing to get rid right. It's a double-edged sword. Wes Anderson, perhaps the greatest mm. exponent of whimsy. Amelie is up there. It's If it's too try-hard or it stops too long to try and reflect on itself, then it's a car crash. It's terrible. Amelie just bombs along. Whimsy is part of this world. You accept mm. it. And it's just, it's magical. And all of this, of course, is underwritten by a fantastic score by Jan Tiersen. Beautiful, moving, light, happy. Very, very French in terms of choice of instruments. <laughs> the, but we have the, them. The accordions. Yeah. But, but mm. it fits because it, it's a, it's a Paris it does. that doesn't exist. It's not a sort of hyper real Everything's magnified, but it's just what helps make it such a magical setting. Um, it's it's whimsical, it's magical, and it's dazzling. And as far as I'm concerned, it's utterly, utterly full of joy and optimism and delight. And mm-hmm. it made me beam with smiles the first time I saw it, and it still has that power.
3: Yeah, mm. it's a beautiful film in almost every regard. If you want to talk technically, it's just beautifully shot. Yep. It's, it's amazing cinematography in it. Looks, mm-hmm. it looks gorgeous. It it's,
0: I used to work uh, a little It's Sumptuous. It's, it's such a yeah. richness to it visually. Yeah, I'm
3: glad it's in here Because I can kind of use it as a proxy From a level of Wes Anderson films as well But this <laughs> yeah. Probably it, it does a pretty good job of Outclassing them At least in terms of, the kind of That kind of more whimsical style things mm. Because it is yeah so beautifully done. I'm also impressed by the way that it, man- it does manage to build drama. I mean, uh, almost every film we're going to talk about in this will be, the drama will be based on people doing unpleasant things to each other. <laughs> and with one arguable minor exception, there is nothing unpleasant in this film. It's all nice things. No. It's just nice things happening to people and still managing to craft an effective drama yeah. from it, I mean, which is incredibly rare.
0: I mentioned like the mischief as the devilment um, portions when Monsieur Collignon is being really cool to Lucian mm. and Damley exact revenge, but it's all—it's pranks really It's nothing that's really harmful Just made to teach him a lesson to Yeah, when
3: you was talking about the, the extent of the revenge Being essentially making uh, slippers slightly smaller <laughs> And things <laughs> like
0: that So yeah, it's just its just this wonderful film
1: Of all the films you've picked This is I'm like, I'm the most It's not my favourite of the films you've got on your list Clearly, because we both agree on Lawrence of Arabia and one other that you'll talk yes. about in a minute But I think this is the one I'm most pleased That you put on your list really? If you know what I mean Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah I remember going to see it and c- cynical bell end that I am. Like, I went in, <laughs> I went into this movie. I remember going to see it at the cinema and I was there. To, I remember vividly having had a shit week. In particular, it had been a really shitty day. I was going there thinking to myself, yeah, I know everybody says it's great, but I'm really not in the mood. I don't like the French in general. Um, <laughs> I'm only joking. I've got nothing against it, I've grown out of that unfounded. Prejudice
0: You're not a teenager anymore No At at
1: the time I thought I didn't like French people For some arbitrary reason (laughs) (laughs) Oh French people are so annoying Uh, And I was there With someone I didn't Particularly want to be there with And I come out of this film Ninety minutes later, and not even metaphorically, literally, I did a wee. I did a wee jig going out the door, <laughs> and I jumped and I clicked my heels. I did that thing. <laughs> I, my heels. I hurt my foot doing it, as it happens, because I landed awkwardly. That's very you. No, yeah, not that I've got a history of that kind of thing, but I really didn't care about that. It's the happiest I've been coming out of a cinema. Yeah. It's this weird, intoxicating thing. I would like to see. I would like to see some really angry teenage jihadi. With like a massive chip on his shoulder and the worst attitude in the world, go in and watch this film. See what he's like when he comes out. Because I am willing to bet that there's no such thing as a person who will not be made happier by watching this film.
0: And if that whether they admit it or not, yeah, yes.
1: absolutely. And if that in and of itself is not one of the greatest achievements in cinema, I don't know what is. And if that isn't reason for including this on someone's favorite list, then I don't know what is. I think this is a really nice pick.
0: Thank you. Yes. And that, that's It's just joy. Choice. It's good. Yeah. It's good to well, be happy. There's
1: nothing wrong with that. We would all the world would be a better place if we were all happier. Same. And this film <laughs> made everybody who saw it happier. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm sure if we I'm sure if we dug deep enough into the IMDB message boards, we would find <laughs> someone who wasn't or at least claimed not to be. But by and large, I think yeah, it's, it's a film that exists to make people happy yeah. and, and does it admirably. And you don't a film needn't have a loftier goal than that. It's almost a bonus that the technical aspects of it are as good as they are.
0: Yeah, it's just a very, very well-made film, but it's all in service of, yes, you'll come out of this film, or you'll finish what's the film, feeling better.
1: Yeah, and if you're not happy with that result, get in the sea. <laughs> it's almost, I'm guessing, Scott, that as if you purposely juxtaposed it with the next film you wanted to talk about, just as the complete antithesis. Yeah, I thought I'd go for
3: a bit of a mood-swing demographic on this one. As we seamlessly transition from the happiest film to perhaps the least happy <laughs> film we <you> can imagine <laughs> in Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, which is a, a Korean film, Chanwuk Park. It's not his first film, so I think it's maybe it's six. I think yeah. there's a few before it, but I think it's really the first film that brought many kind of yeah, attention it's outside the of in Korea. Vengeance trilogy, yeah. isn't it? Exactly. It's yeah. it hit, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it was one immediately before it, Joint Strike Area or Joint Security Area, I think it is, is okay, but it really had nothing. If you'd watched that film, you would never have expected that the next film the guy makes was "Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, yeah. which is a real tour de force and bleakness. It's a story of a young man. He is deaf and mute. He has a sister who desperately needs a kidney transplant. and Unfortunately, he's fired from his job and no longer seems to be able to provide for his sister. He embarks upon a scheme made by his uh, anarchist girlfriend of kidnapping his Actually, I'm I'm jumping ahead of myself because part of one of the bleakest bits in the front instance (laughs) is there does not seem to be a a donor for his sister's transplant operation immediately available, so he decides to go into the black market, effectively trading one of his kidneys for a a promise that they will find one for his sister. He's double-crossed and left without a kidney himself, and they've taken his uh, 10 million won. Then the doctors find a suitable transplant patient, but he has no money to pay for it, so he embarks on a scheme to kidnap his former boss's daughter hold her ransom to try and get the money for this operation. That doesn't work out so well for reasons we'll perhaps go on to, but it then becomes an escalating circle of violence and revenge where things just go from worse to worse to worse. And it's such an interesting narrative thing of someone doing a despicable thing, but for an entirely understandable and almost a laudable reason and
1: how that very quickly spirals out of all control And, and all played and out against a backdrop of Gay Parisian hyper <laughs> Magical realism <laughs> 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 and,
3: yes, You see what I mean My mood swings there's, there's there's little joy to be had in this film It is not a film of uh, happy sunsets Or anything like that It's very bleak, it's very downbeat mm. It's remarkable in the way it builds this atmosphere mm. The central hook around it being built Is really the the uh, deaf mute status Of its lead which leads to some unfortunate situations, but also means because they're trying to convey that, they use some tremendous use of, in many cases, silence and other such things. It's, it's a very atmospheric film for that reason. The narrative is strong. Stylistically it is just so powerful mm. and that really helps bring it on. Hammer home the way that the narrative is going. Certainly not a film you're going to, want to watch to uh, raise your spirits in any kind of meaningful sense, but it is such a powerful work of how you can really create something you know affecting Necessarily, in this case, by being so depressing and so bleak, but that is no means a, a way to, to stop it from being enjoyable in that kind of strange sense where it's not nothing in it is actually pleasant or
1: enjoyable, but it still creates yeah, remarkable it's not a remarkable viewing experience. It's not a film you enjoy, your enjoyment comes through appreciation of. Yeah. yeah. It's some,
0: I'm trying not to make a sweeping generalization, so if that's something in the Korean cinema I've been exposed to but it's something that yeah. Korean cinema seems to do particularly well yeah guys that, like
3: Kai-duk Kim have made a, a career out of this kind of thing um, yeah, yeah, know,
1: and that, that and sort of sudden flashes of brutality that's yes. kind of the trademark yeah. of just, that particular vein like, of
0: there's just this trick of making bleakness utter bleakness compelling, compelling viewing yeah I am um, thinking think, of, think of films like we saw at the Edinburgh Film Festival a few years ago Scott, a girl with black soil yes with there's a no, girl with black soil something like that yeah, yeah with a girl with black soil incredibly depressing film Utterly captivating. Mm. This this is a horrible film. A horrible things happen. Like, nobody's happy, and it's, you just have to watch it.
1: It's the the important thing about it is it's one of those films that's got the it's it's got the courage of its conviction. Um, and this is this is again like you said, Drew, I I've, the Korean cinema that I've been exposed to. I've mm. There's this rich vein of this kind of thing. Yeah, and it's, it's not limited to that. It's a it's a, a a vibrant cinematic um culture, but they do do this particularly well. It's one of those films where there's something really satisfying. About an ending, which is, and it has a, a, a. It was probably the bleakest ending I'd seen up yeah. until that point. It wasn't until it wasn't until I watched another Korean film in the last couple years, I saw the devil, that I saw something bleaker <laughs> than this. That sort of bleak ending where no one comes away happy. No, it's it. If nothing else, it acknowledges that these are bad people. If you, if you do reprehensible stuff like this, you are probably going to be subject unto <laughs> yes. that yourself. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to get a happy ending. Yeah. <laughs> and it has the courage of that conviction It doesn't feel like it needs to tie things up And it doesn't feel like the guy needs to get the operation for his sister And suddenly everything's alright yeah. Yeah. Not to ruin anything But it doesn't really work out for anybody yeah. It doesn't yeah. suffer
0: from the, the problem With so many western films At least bigger budget ones In the American particular it doesn't suffer from focus groupism. No, exactly. No studio exec, no focus group. Yeah. Oh, well, it's a downbeat ending. We have to put an upbeat ending. Yeah. No, yeah. it doesn't f- quite, it doesn't belong. They
1: are quite comfortable with the notion of a film being, the, the theme being, you've made your bed. Yes, yes. <laughs> now, over the course you're dying of it. the now, next two hours. Yeah. Now you're dying it. Now you Now you're going to die in it, yeah. Ah, it's just, it does that thing where, yeah, those sudden bursts of violence that, again, that Korean service, there's a scene, there's a there's a, remember <laughs> <laughs> the scene with the baseball bat <laughs> on the st- on the stairs—is it? Yeah. What I see. say, yeah, little flashes like that are just phenomenal. And again, it feels—it almost feels dirty to say that you've you you've not taken ple- like say not taken pleasure in having enjoyed the yeah. film because the enjoyment isn't a pleasurable enjoyment; it's a satisfaction.
0: I think I don't know. I think maybe the words enjoyment is the wrong word. It's yeah, rewarding, it's, but it's not enjoyable viewing. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, I, I, not synonymous.
3: I guess part of the wider reason That this is on my list Is it's a great example Of a bit of cinema That is not afraid To push everything out To the extremes mm-hmm. um, And that is It's certainly not uniquely Asian Although I, I would argue In recent years And the last couple of decades It's probably best identified with yeah. It's become a bit of a calling card East yeah. You know Korean in particular But also some of the Japanese works Guys like Uh uh, Shinju Tekumutu, uh The guys Things like The, uh, the Tetsuo films mm-hmm. and Body mm-hmm. Hammer Even some of Takeshi Kitano's work Takeshi Miike's Takeshi Miike Yeah uh, so, so this is a Part of the reason For my inclusion This is kind of A cipher For all of those Kind of films <laughs> Where uh, they're not afraid To really push Everything out to the limits And sometimes That produces Abominations And sometimes It produces yeah. great things I And mean, so if you see, Look at the things That have come out in the west Some of it's uh, alternately brilliant or great things like Lars von Trier's career is based around this some of his works are great some of which are absolutely <laughs> Um there's some guys who like Gaspar Noe is also doing a similar kind of thing who I've <laughs> never done anything of worth that I'm concerned with but again I would still watch his films and I'm glad to have a reaction to it like that yeah. um, things like one of my least favourite films last year was Under the Skin which did a similar sort of things of trying to push what you can do with cinema and things out as far as you can get it and within the realms of it still being vaguely Slightly commercial context, and I think it's worth watching all these things, even if you wind up hating them. But it yeah, does yeah. it does provoke a reaction. It's a strong enough bit of art that you can have a reaction to it, one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. I and think um, gaining
1: something from it and enjoying it are not necessarily the same
3: yeah. thing. I'm glad yeah.
0: that these things exist. Um, mm. For lots of reasons, one it's simply it's pushing your own um, experiences. It's pushing you out of your comfort zone, perhaps. Mm. But it's, it's just nice to see something different because so much stuff can seem it could be the best made film, mm-hmm. but um it conforms to the same structure, the same narrative. It feels formulaic, it's not quite the word, but safe. Yeah, And uh, it's mm-hmm. just it, other things that are going to push that, is to stretch, to make you think differently, to provoke a reaction, as you say, mm-hmm. that those films existing are good, but they, they just don't seem to exist in this hemisphere all that much.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's very easy to... Focus group. I mean, I think comic movies are a a great example of this. They're focus group to appeal to the broadest possible cross demographic. And yeah, it's working for them. It's making a lot of money. But I don't think you will ever see anything powerful or moving that's ever going to come out of a Marvel Mm -hmm. franchise because it's the way that it is calculated. It means that it completely precludes that. It's going to be all things to all men, and it'll do an okay job of it most of the time. And and it'll be enjoyable. And it's good that they're there.
0: Doesn't mean they're not enjoyable, but those are very much more about business than art. Yes. um, And they suffer for it.
3: Yeah, and there is nothing wrong with that. I enjoy most of the Marvel films. I enjoy watching them, and uh,
0: they don't live with you though.
3: No, I, I, they're all essentially forgettable. They will merge into one, and I'm not going to think about them in you know five or ten years' time. Whereas <laughs> Absolutely. something uh, Something simply Mr. Vengeance, I watched it again recently just to, on this. I'm not sure I've actually watched it in the intervening. What was that, we seven years Something like that I think it was 2002 this came out was, I, can't, I can't remember quite even when I first watched it though Yeah,
1: um, It was long before we started even podcasting Yeah,
3: yeah um, so it's But to be honest I remember it as clearly From when I was watching it last night as I did from when I watched it A decade or so ago Yeah. Um, one of these films that really sticks in my mind There's a few films like that that, are, that I think Are powerful in that way, that's kind of why I've been putting this on my list There you go Next up is, uh, yes, it's uh, Laputa, Castle in the Sky.
1: Laputa, Castle in the Sky, one of the earlier um, Studio Ghibli films. And actually, my introduction to Studio Ghibli, which is one of the reasons why it stayed with me. I've got this uh, this really weird scenario played out where I, think I was in high school and I was off on a particular day sick. Uh, and I sat there at home flicking through the channels. And this thing was coming on on STV, the Scottish ITV channel, this animated film. What's this? Hmm. Um, and I sat there in my dressing gown And I've never been so compelled By an animated film Since I think um, my, my first experience Of film full stop Was being taken to see The Jungle Book By my <laughs> mum when it was reissued um, In cinemas back in
2: Nineteen,
1: 1980 1983 Or, or 4 um, <laughs> Yeah some time ago And um, I sat there and watched this film I had no ideas of the origin. I could tell by the art style that it was probably Japanese Mm -hmm. in origin, Um, but it was a dubbed version, not the more recent dubbed version, obviously, with James Van Der Beek and such like. But I sat there and watched the thing, and I was utterly swept away in this magical fantasy ride that I best describe as kind of... If Jules Verne had written a book specifically for kids, it would probably be a lot mm. like this. Mm-hmm. This, again, it's not a magical realism thing. It's set in a recognisable world. It's not steampunk necessarily, mm-hmm. but it feels like one of the films that's kind of formed the genesis of that. Mm-hmm. It's this heavily industrialised world. Yeah. Uh, you imagine it has being pitched around the time of the Industrial Revolution, but there are all these magical sort of, well, apparently magical sort of flying machines and very unlikely sort of structures and very ungainly... Sorry to keep using the word flying machines, but obviously it's a recurring theme in (laughs) uh, Miyazaki's works. Uh, And this story about this kid whose father was searching for this um, mythical lost island uh, that floats in the sky, and his chance encounter with a young girl um, who has been kidnapped by some sky pirates, uh, and who has around her neck this pendant formed of a a particular type of stone uh, called levastone, which is very well named because it's the stone which gives uh, the this mythical island its uh, levitational properties and they become entwined in this fantastical um, adventure um, in a race to find this island in the sky ahead of the sky pirates and ahead of the sinister government agent and his squad and in terms of sheer imagination and that it took place in my formative I think probably the, the most formative period of my, my cinema watching years, probably like my mid teens and whatnot. I was so or early early to mid teens. I was so swept away in this thing. I was so fascinated by it. I did everything I could to find out about it. I wrote to STV <laughs> who denied having any knowledge of this thing. <laughs> I started to think that I was taken I was amazed I even got a letter back from them, but when I did, I got this letter back this was this was pre-email, guys. This was pre-email. Mm-hmm. Um, this, was pre, this was pre-internet This was pre so keep in mind I was trying to find out what the hell this thing was that I'd seen on a TV station who denied that they'd shown it um, <laughs> even though I had part of it taped on a VHS tape that my dad went and then taped over some bloody football on and I did everything I could to find to find out what this film was and I understand that there might have been some sort of rights issue around it at the time and things like that made it quite bizarre that it was shown on UK terrestrial TV and why it didn't show up again yeah. uh, in the intervening years but obviously now, um, I mean, I, I went so far as to find uh, was it? Forbidden Planet. We're going to import a Laserdisc copy of it for me from hmm. Japan for 150 quid. I have no idea how I thought I was going to get that kind of money together <laughs> at the age of like 14 or 15. Oh, so
0: you don't have a Laserdisc player. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Well, the point is that there was also, I'd found a place in Edinburgh who would convert Laserdisc onto VHS right, for okay. me. But So I had this whole big thing set up All <laughs> I needed to do was find £150 And I could have a copy of this film So enchanted was I by it um, And obviously now it's a trivial matter Because we're living in the age where quite rightly The Ghibli uh, back catalogue Are now subject to beautiful restorations mm-hmm. And some of I mean, Obviously the Laserdisc and the DVD versions You can have the original subtitles Which most of us probably purists would prefer to do But fortunately when Disney signed a distribution deal with them, they've invested some time and effort in the dubs. Mm-hmm. So actually, you have these wonderful dubbed versions that have made them far more accessible now. And like there are there are kids in primary-junior school who are obsessed with these things now. We've got this wonderful access to them now, and it really excites me that that kind of imagination is being shared and informing kids at such a young age, because I wish I had seen a film yeah. as magical as this at, right. at the age of five or six. I cannot wait to sit down and watch this with my yeah. little girl when she's old enough. I am so excited. I
0: got um started getting my niece my nieces now into Studio Ghibli films. Mm. My sisters continued it, just bought some more for them yesterday and just like is it just, just sit wide eyed, open mouthed, drinking this incredible film experience in and lapida. Yeah. Um, one of the top ones that I love to. It's just it's yeah. beautiful.
1: Yeah. Well, my my wife is a primary school teacher and she she knows all about Totoro. Not because she sat and watched it, but because kids that she's taught are obsessed with Studio Ghibli. And um, I think, obviously, our, and there is no doubt that Studio Ghibli have produced better films in this since. Spirited mm-hmm. Away yeah. is a better film than Lapita Castle in the Sky. Mm-hmm. Probably Princess Mononoke is mm-hmm. a better film than Lapita Castle in the Sky. But Lapita is my favourite, I think, in terms of opening the door to probably my first experience of outside of the traditional sort of anime titles, to Japanese animation. This thing that I didn't know at the time was Studio Ghibli. Um that had already produced these other fantastic works and happened at just a particular time in my life that it has always stuck with me. And I can't I can I can understand that you know there are there are better films than that now in the, in the Studio Ghibli stable, but this is still my favourite. Yeah, yeah. Nosta- for nostalgic reasons, um, for almost for the he- the sheer romance of it, mm. I yeah. can't see past that, and I just love it, love it dearly. Yeah, of course, um, Studio Ghibli has been quite important to me lately, and of course it's important to my wife as
3: anyone who went to my wedding will know. It' a bit of a Totoro theme. That was a little it. bit of a Totoro <laughs> theme running <laughs> yes. through your wedding recently, yeah, yes. Because goddamn it, I like it, so I'm glad it was on this list. But I mean, I could quite easily have said my entire top five. Uh, Favourite films were all Studio Ghibli films And I could yeah. have defended yeah. that quite easily No one would argue okay. with you, yeah. you know? Again, um, yeah. that
0: was, there were several Studio Ghibli films Could have made that into my list yeah. Um, yeah. I think when you're picking the
1: top five, you let something like a Studio Ghibli to, in yeah. And then you kind of feel Guilty and feel like, well I kind of have to pick Something else, yeah. but honestly if, you, if I had said Laputa, Princess Mononoke Spirited Away And I don't know, Totoro and like one other, probably pick any other one. Honestly, Grave like, *The yeah. Fireflies*. Yeah, no one's going to argue. Yeah. No one's going to argue. You almost feel compelled to pick some some other stuff. For your vibe, just for a bit of diversity.
3: Yeah, yeah, but no, they're all they're all wonderful films. I've not seen a single Studio Ghibli film that I've not liked. Even the stuff that is not uh, by Miyazaki himself is still strong enough to be yeah to, to warrant the brand name of Ghibli.
0: If you like, yeah, some yeah. of them aren't aren't brilliant, but none of them are less than good. Yeah, it's certainly enjoyable
3: And especially if you remember Most of these were taking place In a dark, dark time for animation Yeah Where Disney was on the rocks And could not put a decent
1: film out To save and, their life And largely unbeknownst and, to us On the other side of the planet There is yeah. this amazing, yeah. flourishing
0: like, so From Disney like maybe the late 60s And then up to probably Beauty and the Beast The start of the 90s There's nothing yeah. Western-wise yeah. Like it's the big films the open end. season. Anyone? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, the thing about it is, and where where they where they triumph time over time over Disney's home stuff, and even now, it's, it's purely an imagination. Mm-hmm. The the production value, the technical aspects of these films, the writing, and are matched Disney toe for toe. Disney cannot compete with the sheer imagination on display. No. Yeah. For the longest time, Disney couldn't see past talking animals. Yeah. Studio Ghibli, within the first four or five films. I've got kids sky pirates, you know, <laughs> yeah. like chasing a floating island in the sky, being chased yeah. by stone robots. Yeah. What? You cannot compete with that. It, the sheer yeah. imagination of those films coupled with his, his obsession with like Porco Rosso, I'd probably pick yeah. as another favorite. That whole theme of his, like, there's something so magical about everything that he infused into those early, yeah. especially the early ones. That Ma- just, yeah. Magical's
0: magical world. was uh, the word rather. I've, I've never I thought been, it was Grease I do <laughs> <tsch. I've, laughs>
2: Hey I'm um, here
0: all week I've never been a great fan of Disney I've never mm. rated their output Apart from a couple of films yeah. The Jungle Book yeah. Aladdin mm. Lilo and Stitch Which is one of the minor works But I think is, is a fantastic so Anarchic man. film Yeah we both agreed
1: on that I think we yeah. saw it about the same time And we're yeah. like Why Lilo aren't people Stitch. raving about this world this is it's
0: hilarious Because um, it's quite on Disney like too Lilo yeah. and Stitch actually uh, yeah. The anarchic nature of it But some Studio cheaply's always had A magic about it and there's something for, for to compare them to Disney again. For something that, that given Disney's entire market is kids, they never seem to get childhood done that well. It's
1: yeah, and it's not that they it's not that they lack in humor because well, like, arguably, like Disney deal more in humor. Possibly, than probably Studio Ghibli, you will get more laughs at this. Probably yeah, more under- humor than emotion, man. Yeah, you know, they business. understand that it's the fantastical. They stop short of achieving the fantastical. Mm. And it just never seemed to be a problem for Studio Ghibli. But no. so like, what? Sorry, lions. Sorry, a guy. His dad dies. He's a lion. He's lion cub. What? Right. All oh, right. Okay, that's brilliant. i <laughs> here's here's a wash house full of ghosts, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In, a, in a magical fantasy <laughs> yeah. alternate reality version of the thing that a girl went through when she was on a road trip with her mum and dad. So yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you've got there's like there's the magic, the fantasy, um, the fantastical nature of Studio Ghibli stuff. There's something. That there are other Japanese films that do it too so there's something maybe inherent in the culture but grasp the magic of childhood of being a child that Disney doesn't Mm. get and also um, imagination as you say because you know Disney well well, we've got a princess Uh Uh uh-huh what's up next Well, there's this princess Mm. right well (laughs) there's this princess and then like I say, you've got things like um, flying pirates and things and even just when it comes to like a strong female character like well we've got this teenage witch she's becoming independent yeah like, what have you got? Princess? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, it, Studio
1: Ghibli wins. The way I th- as I sit here now, I'm trying to think of a way of summing it up in a sentence. So I'm trying to think of how to put it in a box. And the best I can come up with is that each of those Studio Ghibli films is like a dream I wish I'd had. <laughs> does that make sense?
0: Yeah. It does, sound rather like that.
1: Yeah. That's the best way I can think of summing it up. But I've prattled on long enough about that anyway. If you haven't watched it already, watch it or I'll personally come round and kill you. <laughs> how magical is that? I wouldn't, really, I wouldn't really kill you, don't... Well, no, because then that you was harsh. Then you wouldn't
0: be able to watch it. No. But, but, but have you heard of the Ludovico technique? <laughs> exactly. Okay, the next film is perhaps not the most original film to like and consider one of my favourites, but, but there I th- was
1: I think is one that the vast majority of people will agree on, though. Yes. Uh, yeah.
0: Now, there are some films which are certainly better, um, including films I've mentioned on this, but, for instance, to talk about Lawrence of it's amazing. It's my favourite film ever. I think it's magnificent. You can watch that a lot though. Yeah. Not, not just because of the length, but just because of the scope of it. It's not a film that you can watch regularly. It's an occasion yeah. to watch that film. The Big Lebowski, I could probably watch every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not that much of an exaggeration. <laughs> no. So just in case anybody's been living under a rock for the last 15 years. but uh, the, 15 years, right? Oh, I it's guess it is. 17, oh, yeah, I guess
2: eh? it is. God oh my.
0: Um, And this is a I'll mention the plot quickly This is a film that I as well as many others Came to on VHS I think it was, it was a box office bomb Which was a bit of a surprise given it Just followed Fargo for which the Coen Brothers Had won an Oscar mm-hmm. And um, had put them in Straight into the mainstream
1: It was their Shawshank Redemption essentially right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, And Lebowski bombed, uh, but it was the next couple of years. It's, it's happened every now and then in cinema, but it just the word cult is overused. But it certainly started it like that, um, yeah. That a couple people would, would watch in video. You know, Craig and I watched it at a similar time, I guess Scott as well, round about Then the memorable dialogue gets in your head, you start quoting it, you recognize other people quoting it suddenly, suddenly it's a thing, yeah. And then it just it took off, and it's it's a huge film now. Um, you know, it's the tale of this peaceful soul known as the dude uh,
1: who abides <laughs> dude, yes, if you need definitely. to know what he does during the course of this movie he abides um,
0: the, when the, the info um, from the very famous stranger narrator says you know, sometimes there's a man well he's the man for his time and place and that was the dude in Los Angeles <laughs> except the dude is out of time his time has yeah. passed the dude is a man from the 70s <laughs> and the world has passed him by, and he either doesn't notice or doesn't care.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a bit of both.
0: <laughs> he, does, he doesn't want anything from the world. He's got enough. He's got enough um, drugs and alcohol and bowling <laughs> to keep him happy, and he doesn't hurt anybody. Yeah, but he's also out of his element <laughs> because he's basically a stoner who's wandered into the middle of a Raymond Chandler story <laughs> and been told, "Oh, um, by the way, you're the hero." <laughs> It's kind of a strange film, too, because that you could ostensibly build an entire film around the concept of one man wanting to replace a rug it <laughs> yeah. is uh, crazy, really. <laughs> a soiled rug, but it's what it really is, is a parody of film noir, most notably and um, directly in this instance, The Big Sleep. But like all of the greatest parodies, it's done with both a deep affection for a thorough understanding of the source material, uh, which is one of the things that makes it great well, there's so many great things but one of the great things is how how rich the film is and how full of attention to detail when it's chock full of lines and mannerisms and props and other details that could easily be missed in a first viewing yeah mm, um, will be missed on a first yes, viewing and a second and a third
2: exactly, <laughs> and they
0: add such texture and depth to the film and its characters I mean look for example uh, Brant standing solemnly head bowed at the side of the frame when the big hmm. Lebowski is asking the dude about the measure of a man. Yeah. Or the repetition of phrases that um, crop up yeah, sometimes that he's heard in television or from <laughs> another cartoon and he repeats them. And maybe not notice it the first time. It's, like, it's just an incredibly layered film. Mm.
1: And some of it just leads nowhere. Most of it leads nowhere. Most most of it of leads, essentially no the
3: entire film leads nowhere. But it's, that it's, doesn't
1: stop it being fantastic. It's their, Arguably, their most it's their most random film. It starts yeah. with the most random premise. Somehow this uh, this thing should have spun off in, Into cataclysmic chaos At <laughs> yes. every other line in the script And somehow it doesn't And yes. it's, do you know what, it's the characters
0: Yeah, I'll, I'm going to touch back on mm. on that a bit Because that's that's one of my main points it's, But what helps make it work though Is something that I've always considered The strength of the coins And it's why something like Intolerable Cruelty And the Ladycals are such disappointments Because they weren't working off their own script mm. Their strength has always been their script Their material and Given that it's a film about stoners and the stoner just being lost in the world, thrust into the middle of it, and I have no idea what he's doing, it's almost a farce noir. Mm. Yeah, uh, Because even the narrator gets um, lost at the start, yeah. doesn't know yeah. what he's talking about, the dude doesn't know what he's talking about. It's incredibly tightly scripted. Yeah. I mean, every single um and ah, every word yeah. is carefully placed, yeah. it's deliberate. You watch that, and you think that that's ad living or something. It's not. No, it's mm. so tightly um, controlled. Yeah, but every single role is filled so well. The characters are so superbly acted that every um and ah feels natural. Mm. Yeah,
1: actually, I'm wrong when I say it's tightly controlled. It's more. It's so tightly. It's probably more actually to say that these characters, everything is so tightly embodied.
0: Yes, that's um,
1: that these people are living and breathing.
0: Well, I and exactly to that point, I mean, it helps that most of the characters were written with these actors in mind. Mm. Most of them are people that have worked with the Coen brothers before. Uh, they were written with these characters in mind, so you write to them sh- their strength. Even then, you just have this incredible synergy that these excellent performances of incredibly memorable, very, very well written characters. And pretty much every character in the film is memorable. Mm. I mean you could just, you could list them forever. I mean, you've got the Malbur man stranger, mm. puppy like Donnie, mm. um, angry but passionate Walter.
1: Walter is one of my favourite characters yeah. in cinema. Yeah, I would stop and I like, would Really, I really have not been a fan of John Goodman in the past. I'm not particularly a fan of him now. That is Walter. If nothing else, if that was John Goodman's legacy, yeah, it's enough. You're it? welcome to whatever you want, pal.
2: Unbelievable. <laughs> I like
0: John Goodman, but yeah, what is Walter? It's, it's incredible. It's, but every part <laughs> of this memoirs, can just you can go on. You've got Maud, yes. the nihilists, Brant, the Big Lebowski, <laughs> Jesus Quintana. <laughs> I mean, that creep can roll, man. But but every single character is memorable. Even the most minor character, apart from maybe, you know, the woman that's working in a coffee shop and really counts as a character, I guess. Mm. But Bunny Lebowski, everybody, there's something unique about them that sticks in your mind. But more importantly, it's damn funny. Yeah.
2: Mm.
0: I mean, there are moments of farce when interrogating unsuccessfully a 15-year-old boy about where the stolen money has gone. There's moments of genre subver- subversion, uh, you know. The dude very famously using the old detective trick yeah. of <laughs> making the pencil impression on the pad to see yeah. what they've put with un- unexpected results. <laughs> and then just like moments of utter d- deadpan humour, because I mean, the dude, the dude isn't stupid, but perhaps he's slightly detached from the world. Yeah. But and just moments of deadpan humour, <laughs> it's like you can imagine where the porno goes from here. What, he fixes the cables? <laughs> <I was> like,
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> really, you're not a golfer. The only thing I can think of, the only reason I, I know that people who, who don't like this film are it's a particular brand of irreverence, I think. Is irreverence the word I'm looking for? The humour that I think some, I know some people have engaged with, but anyone who remotely engages with it is in love with this film, which is why it's been so successful. Mm. It's written in this very particular language that probably raw and... I would love to read the script actually because raw on the page I'm not sure it would work. It's almost like this thing's been written and the Lebowski's are like, okay, we've written this out listen.
0: The Lebowskis. Uh, the, Lebowskis are, <laughs> the Coins.
1: The Coins. <laughs> Sorry, the Coins. They go, Right, it's okay, don't worry though. We're gonna translate this for you. Yeah. Right. They're not so much directing it as they are yeah. translating this bizarre material into <laughs> something that you can compute. And I'm not even sure of consciously being aware of how it, I'm computing it. First time I first time I watched it, and I, again I come very close to putting this on my list. I can't remember why I didn't it might have been a diversity thing. What well, diversity thing? What's more diverse than this? This famously, I went through two uh, rental X rental VHS copies of this, <laughs> both of which had, all, had only been viewed less than about yeah, five times. I've my VHS tape out as well. Yeah, wore out a rental grade tape. Two of those watching this endlessly. There was a point uh, I can't remember what my little statistic was. I was keeping track of it in a year. I had watched it something like 290 times. <laughs> something that I had so, literally put it on you know, I, five, so, six nights a week I mean, <laughs> you, you, and just had it on in the background.
0: Yeah, yeah. I did some of the things you, know, you both noticed too that I ripped the audio from it. Yeah, I yeah. listened on the way to university yeah, and stuff. Yeah, I've still um, got
1: it on my, on my iPod. I've yeah. still got the audio from I it. I like I still have the
0: original uh, mini-disc I did because that's how long ago this was. Yeah. How long ago my mm-hmm. love affairs. Uh Now, I did... I, I can't remember exactly my impression but I know I liked this film from the first viewing. A lot of people don't, and I can mm-hmm. understand that. Um, I didn't
1: engage with it first viewing. It didn't. It wasn't until it wasn't until I went back and watched it again. Second, It was time, obviously something that made you want remembers. to. Well, no. other people like you know you're wrong about it, Craig. And something went, so, and yeah. I had to go back. Second viewing, I'm like, yeah, okay. Third viewing, who-. yeah, well, that was game it. It um, over. Yeah.
0: In common with a lot of the Coen Brothers films, The Big Lebowski isn't about plot. Yeah, it's not really. I mean, some of the films have more plot. Than this. As a plot, really, but it's more just to buffet the dude around so you get yeah. the reactions of the characters. Yeah,
1: it's got a random stream of consciousness yeah. passing as a um,
0: plot. So it's not about plot, like some of it's about character. And in the big case of the Big Lebowski, it's also about an attitude. Yeah. Dudeism, as it's become. Put an ethos, dude. Just say what you want about the tenets <laughs> of the Big Lebowski, at least it's an ethos. <laughs> but going back to when we're talking about Blade Runner, whereas I did like this from the beginning, the fact there's no strong narrative, there's no real story payoff mm. I really think that's what can put a lot of people off and I understand that but that's why it deserves a second viewing because you you watch it first you know how it ends so you can stop thinking about the plot mm-hmm. so I can understand people the first, after the first viewing but it's what makes the second viewing mm-hmm. and even the 20 second viewing that much more rewarding
1: this Big Lebowski is as rich in character and is as landmark as as much of a landmark for character for me as Blade Runner is from a visual standpoint, mm-hmm. if yes. that makes sense I mean,
0: So if anybody's listening who has watched The Big Lebowski but never really got it I'd still urge you to give it another go like, put aside the lack of plot and just, just embrace the character and the mood because that's what it's all about and it does it better than pretty much anything else
3: if it weren't for the fact that I saw that it was already on your list, I would have had to put it in as my favourite film, because yes. it probably is. But I, I, I haven't put it in there just simply because I wanted it to be representative of myself in general, and the Big Lebowski is representative of nothing. <laughs> it, it's not even representative of the Coen Brothers' other work. It, it exists by itself on this little island. It's is a fantastic island and I love being able to visit it but it is it is a strange weird lovely film that is just beautifully encapsulated and it's so brilliant and I'm glad yeah. it's not my life but I love looking in on yeah. it exactly
0: it's just an incredible thing it's so rare to find a film that you could just watch any time mm. yeah. anywhere
1: yeah I. that's the defining char- characteristic of it launch of Arabia remains my favourite film I haven't watched the film as many times as I've watched The Big Lebowski. I don't think anything can come close chalk, me. Mm. by a long chalk, by a long chalk, and I've never grown bored of it. I've never not laughed at yeah. it. I couldn't tell you, I couldn't tell you a joke or apart from uh, apart from another film which is a comedy that I'm still laughing at on the third watch. Mm-hmm. Never yeah. mind the three hundredth yeah. watch it's, or whatever I mean, ridiculous
0: imagine, it is now. Probably all the same. I imagine that watching me watching The Big Lebowski would be the weirdest thing because you'd see me giggling laughing like two or three seconds before anything's actually said on screen because I know how well it is but I just watched that. I never ever tire of it.
1: It was the best reason for DVD to have uh, appeared (laughs) as a format to be honest because laser rot takes a lot more time to kick in. (laughs) A lot more watches to kick in than it does VHS degradation put it that way.
3: So we mentioned that of course there's a a certain parallel element of Phil Noir in The Big Lebowski which would feature hard-boiled cops and of course
1: there's no cop more (laughs) hard-boiled
3: than tequila. (laughs) Beautiful. Beautiful. We've
0: reinstituted the tenuous links department. <laughs> I didn't beautiful. get that memo. That is
1: a sorry. We've gone from having abandoned it To you know, having reached peak. We've embraced it. Uh, peak that tenuousness. Was, that
3: was beautiful. <laughs> so um, hard boiled. Uh, one of that was the
1: Big Lebowski of links. He just pulled <laughs> off
2: the
3: <laughs> the John Woo film Hard featuring a uh, his frequent leading man, shall we say, uh, Chow Yun Fat, and the plot of it is is barely worth mentioning as with a lot of John Woo's films and it's not really the narrative element of it that I'm really putting this in for basically you could pick any one of John Woo's rough trilogy comprising The Killer and this and A Better Tomorrow, lots of John Woo films that have embraced the kind of Hong Kong action thing, uh, but I suppose just for reference we'll include this uh am trying in Fats playing tequila a cop investigating uh, triad dealings, and mafia dealings Uh, He kind of crosses paths with an undercover cop who's also trying to infiltrate the same gangs and the two kind of bounce off each other on a couple of occasions before eventually teaming up to take care of a massive mafia gun-running operation. That is a very reductive way to handle the the action that comes within but it's not really a film that is based around its narrative strengths. It is (laughs) like all great action cinema based on having tremendous action sequences and again, part of the reason he's I watched a lot of these uh, in my formative years growing up, and it's the love of this has stayed with me ever since. So Hong Kong action is perhaps the, the peak of the genre, but you've also got all sorts of things from your Arnold Schwarzenegger films and all these other kind of action-oriented stuff, some of which holds up better than others, but I think uh, having watched this again pretty recently, John Wu's stuff does kind of have a, a cut and a class above uh, everything else yeah. that has managed to kind of maintain relevance even in this day and age. Uh, it's just a wonderfully Kinetic experience uh, Lots of tremendously Fast work in the editing Lots of great uh, Shooting from both The cinematographic shoot uh, point And just Simply shooting yeah. As Chow Yun-fat <laughs> Dives sideways over A multitude of objects uh, Firing <laughs> guns wildly Um With his
0: (laughs) unlimited ammo mod applied. uh,
3: (laughs) He's uh, definitely opened a developer's console. Yes, (laughs) 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 A a film where the entire swap to it is I think each character can be seen reloading once over the course of this entire film and that is all they need for the rest of their infinite ammo clips as they pummel each other with just tremendous amounts of firepower. Uh, There's nothing particularly deep or complicated about my reasons for putting on this. It's just a tremendous amount of fun as a lot of uh, action cinema as can be when it's at its best. It's something that seems something about a downswing in the more PG orientated uh, era You don't get a lot of this sort of thing uh, You'll see the occasional glimpse of it Normally coming from abroad uh, somewhere, Probably Thailand or places where you might not expect it from Even America you're very rarely going to see it You might see a dread or something like that every now and again Which embraces the same kind of uh, action And uh, just drama coming from these ridiculous stunts And this kind of thing you don't often see it these days, and I think that's a bit sad, um, but there's a whole back catalogue we can contend ourselves with, and pretty much anything with Chow Yun-Fat would, would, would scratch that itch is. for you. As I say, it's a, I do have a great appreciation for this kind of thing when done well. It can just yep. be so satisfying to watch. Uh, the plot itself as it doesn't hold up with a lot of scrutiny, although for that, Chow Yun-Fat does a tremendous job. He's tremendously charismatic and likeable. The same cast can be said of all those uh, Co-members, the police chief of police That's playing, everyone else, uh, Tony Leung Tremendous, t- charismatic Performances on them um, It is, for nostalgic reasons, possibly the only Film of this ilk that I will watch Dubbed rather than subtitled <laughs> Because <laughs> yeah. it has a, a tremendously There's something majestic about that, that original dub. Tremendous dub it Again, it's one of these things that lives That super superposition state of being Dreadful and brilliant at the same time I don't think I'll belabor the point any more than this. It's just a fantastic slice of action yeah, film and a highly, highly enjoyable bullet ballet.
0: Yeah, it would never trouble my top five films, but it's a tremendously enjoyable film. Uh, it's got fantastic choreography, which John has always done so as action choreography. Mm. It's daft, it's over the top, it's hugely entertaining. What it is, what I like so much about it, is just that it's a genre piece done. Mm perfectly for exactly. the genre yeah mm. it's not a perfect film it's not the best film but again this isn't the purpose of this podcast it's about favorite not best yeah not necessarily the same but yeah it's it's a genre piece done to the best that you could basically do that genre
2: yeah
1: it's even it's its, its own it's almost its own genre though right it's like well we all know what action cinema is and then John Woo came along and was like well yeah there's action cinema <laughs> but then I'm gonna show I'm gonna show you this and like you use bullet ballet, I was going to cut in early and say like it's almost it's almost a cliche now to talk about bullet ballet and stuff. But honestly it is, it's the choreography of it, mm-hmm. and the way he ringmasters this yeah. total anarchy yes. is unbelievable. I remember the first time I watched this, it took me it took me a couple of days I think to actually get round <laughs> to watching the whole film because like that opening shootout in the Wyndham yeah. Tea House, yeah. Um, I remember sitting watching that thing and got to the end of it and I was slack jawed. I'd yeah. never seen anything like it in my life. I'd been told. This is insane And I I sat there and watched it And I immediately rewound it back to the start of that (laughs) scene And I sat and watched the rest of the film I watched that scene about seven or eight times Over and over, (laughs) slack-jawed I'm like, the hell is this? That (laughs) would have been considered like an amalgam of of like the the climax of about ten other yeah. like Hollywood action films <laughs> don't account for the bullet count and the body count in that opening scene alone. And That's that sets the tone of the film. What's
0: so appealing about it too, compared to so many modern films too, is that I mean, and sometimes it as its place in modern films. it doesn't rely on hyperkinetic editing no. for its action. It's just like no, it just have well planned camera movements, good choreography. Then they just shoot what people are doing, and flying over tables and stuff, and rely mm. on the actual movement of the actual people as opposed mm. to faking it by yeah. cutting away all the time yeah.
1: and actually using quite a lot of slow mo as well. Yeah, yeah. the majesty of someone sprawling as they get, <laughs> as they get it's shot, quite the shot opposite ninety times. There. So many
0: things now where you'd get, you know, that scene in the tea house would probably have thirty cuts in it. Oh know?
1: yeah, yeah, big time. There's something. There's something. Just it was um, like I probably I think about hard boiled and the killer, and I'm like I'm not. I'd be I'd be hard pressed to pick the two of them. This is the this is the one that I I was like most pleasant surprise. See on your list, yeah. Actually, I'm glad someone put something like hard boiled in because it's as beautiful and insane an action movie <laughs> yeah. as Amelie is like a beautifully insane uplifting joyful movie. Like I I can't quantify how much of a quantum leap just to use all the QUs I can um, <laughs> over. Action movies we'd been exposed to up until That time mm-hmm. this actually was Like literally it wasn't the next time I saw something as arresting as this or that had me As dumbstruck as this was the First time I sat down with My breakfast one morning on a day Again I was I was sick From work that day and I Went downstairs in my dressing gown with a Bowl of cornflakes to watch finally watched this Private Ryan film that everyone had been ranting on About mm-hmm. and by the end of the Normandy beach landing I hadn't touched my, my cornflakes were Like just a soggy <laughs> mess in my bowl I was just sat there like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> um, that that th- Those are the only two times that's happened to me. Hard-boiled yeah. and Private Ryan. And hard-boiled, obviously, a, an entirely <laughs> different kettle of fish from Private Ryan. But just like so insanely different from anything I'd ever seen. And just, yeah. holy smoke. And then to realise there was this whole genre of stuff. Yeah. And that this stuff is out there. If you want to go and get it, there's more of yeah. this.
0: <laughs> it's, it's always it doesn't really matter if you're it's always pleasing to see your thing done well yeah. uh, and that's where Hard Boyle falls into it.
1: Chow Yun-Fat and John Woo are as important to action movies as Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers were to musicals. I thought you were going to finish that, that's, that that's
0: important to action movies. So I've obviously missed part of that. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh,
1: literally that important and so much of what we take for granted with Action Now was defined by those early John Wu films and but actually a lot of people it's that weird thing of a lot of people still probably don't know that. Hmm. They maybe yeah. didn't reach the popularity that the Ghibli films have with Western kids. Yeah. That same thing didn't necessarily happen for John Woo's films over here. Yeah. A lot of people's experience of John Woo now it's still hard target. Face um, off. Face off. And then given and up. Unfortunately <laughs> broken arrow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, just this remarkable body of work that is still, like, I still haven't seen anything as kinetic and as engaging in terms of just Choreographed anarchy. That's hard boiled.
3: Yeah, what yeah, like I say it's, it's always good to have a nice action film. It's also a, a bit of a cipher for things like um, just, uh, Bruce Lee films or any kind of yeah. martial arts work. We've got yeah. things like Tom Young Goon stuff like that. And there's all sorts of great things that can be had. Not anything that's necessarily deep characters or deep plot, but just really well shot action sequences. Yeah. Do have the replace in cinema. And I think it's important to recognise that. Yeah,
1: exactly. And John John Wu perfected that to level that. Like it's, it's interesting that you mentioned about Bruce Lee, mm. because I was sitting here earlier thinking about the the choreography of the shootouts in Harbord as is as, as impressive and perfectly executed as any fight scene in a Bruce Lee movie yeah. or a Jet Lee movie. If you want to, if you mm. want to be more contemporary, mm. I like it. <laughs> which means we've only got one left, right?
0: Goodfellas, Goodfellas, which is unlike any mafia film that came before. I mean, at times it's almost documentarian. It's a warts and all portrayal of gangster life. You know, this isn't the regal dynastic life of the Colleonis. Goodfellas world is dirty and it's messy, uh, which is one of the ways it sets itself apart from other mob films. It, just, it doesn't romanticise the mafia lifestyle. Uh, though, importantly, it doesn't necessarily judge you either. It allows you to mm. do that up to you, make your mind up for yourself, which is refreshing. I mean, there's glamour there, certainly you can see this outsider kid who was an analogue for Martin Scorsese in the in his own real life. The outsider kid who observed everything except when Scorsese saw the gangsters in the street thought, right, I'm not going to do that. Might make some films about them. Yeah. Henry Hill saw that. I want to be one of them. So you see the glamour there mm. and you see the appeal to him of the swagger, the power, the lifestyle, the respect mm. that these gangsters in his neighbourhood got. But when Henry finally comes in from the outside and enters the world, we get to see what it really means, and how, even if he doesn't realise that he's trapped. Because
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, when Henry Hill famously tells us that, as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster, there's something almost flat about the way he delivers that. There's no excitement there. Hmm. and you, you Certainly there's one interpretation of it, I sometimes subscribe to that, you know, he's saying, what was I thinking? Exactly, you know, exactly. Rather than, yes, I want to be a gangster. It's, like, it's almost know,
1: like, oh God, you know what? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Twenty Twenty hindsight, yeah. so as long as I remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. <laughs> uh,
0: and again, in common with a couple of films we've talked about already, this is another film that isn't as much about plot as some people might think. Yeah. It's about feeling. Like this, Goodfellas is what it feels like to be in the mafia. Because I mean, you've got Henry Hill's nostalgia-tinged voiceover all the time but it's constantly contradicted by the reality of the pettiness and the violence and the small-mindedness and the garishness and the self-interest that's shown on the screen while he's talking. And because for every moment of apparent glamour, there's one of mundanity. Mm. The good fellas mock the working schlub. Mm. Those people are fools having to work in 95 and they've got boring lives, but theirs is this, a life of banality as much as anybody else's. I mean, yeah. even a mafioso can have trouble with a babysitter. Yeah. <laughs> And Goodfellas has this reputation for being really violent too, and if you look at it, it's not as violent as you might think. No, no. But the violence that is there is utterly, utterly brutal. Yeah, it's uncompromising. It? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um,
1: and it serves a very important purpose. Yeah. You were you were saying about the fact that crucially, uh, it's never judgmental about these people. For me, and the reason why, because Goodfellas is, is the second film that you and I share. Right, yes. it's on it's on my list of five as well. And for me, the most important thing about it is that it offers you the opportunity to make up your own mind, right? It is never any less than honest about what the consequences of this lifestyle are, right? I mean, even early on, you get a hint at it in the the scene in the restaurant with Joe Pesky and it turns out, oh, he's joking and the palpable relief on everyone's (laughs) face when it (laughs) turns out... Incredible tension in that scene. Unrealistic, uh, unbelievable, sorry, the tension that that scene ratchets up and straight away, you have, as a viewer, have an implicit understanding of this is a world that I'm going to spend the next two and a half hours laying this out for you and you're going to find this as appealing. You're going to understand why these guys yeah. chose that lifestyle, but, but never be in any doubt. Yeah. There is, there are, there are consequences to yeah. that lifestyle.
0: There are consequences to it, but also there, there are other downsides. Polly will come back to these two words a lot, but the mundanity and banality of some of it, some of it because it just becomes a thing they do, despite the brutality of the violence and the often very clearly primal rage and primal feelings that drives it it's it's also so mundane that's what they do it's part yeah. of the job mm. you know we've whacked the guy why don't we just stop by tommy's mum's house and have a bite <laughs> before we go bury him <laughs> yeah Henry, <laughs> henry's in that scene henry's very clearly uncomfortable but jimmy and tommy are just saying eh, that's yeah it. hi ma one looks one way, one looks the other. You know, about <laughs> and, that's,
1: and that's the price. That's the price of the life they've chosen. Is that you've you've accepted into your life these people for whom killing people is to quote him is no big deal. Yep. Right. At which point your your fate is essentially sealed. There's no way back out of that. Yeah. There's a very real chance that things are going to turn out incredibly badly for you because you're now you're you're now living with a family who would think nothing of and this like and actually it's the one thing that casino. Um, which many people accuse of being a remake of Goodfellas and it's absolutely not. It's the one thing that Casino conveys better uh, in the final scenes of that entire attitude of why take the risk? Mm. It's absolutely nothing to these people. To, if they have the slightest hint that you might cause some sort of problem years from now, you might be their best friend and they will they will think, mm. Do you know what, why take the risk? I'm going to shoot this guy in the head. In, or worse. All. absolutely and that's the terrifying thing about it but despite that as a viewer uh, you are st- you, ca- you still absolutely are intoxicated by this lifestyle
0: yeah um, cause, yeah, it's so easy to see the appeal but then it's the danger that's lurking there and not even for what you think because Tommy is a terrifying character because he's a psychopath mm. he's one of those people mm. who that scene in the, of the restaurant where he, the very famous you know what I'm a clown I am you've seen it's incredibly tense that film that scene could have ended so differently. You could have just killed something. It could have been like the spider scene,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? There's mm-hmm. no way to know yeah. something like that. Yeah. But the really, the really dangerous, really scary thing is you think, well, Tommy's the danger. Tommy, you look out for. Yeah. You don't expect yeah. Jimmy. But the yeah. point after those the, the Heist when mm-hmm. um, you just, it's almost like something like like that behind Jimmy's eyes, and it's like it's going to kill everybody. It'll be easier. That's what yeah. I was going to mention next. Is That's that scene where thing. um,
1: uh, is it Sunshine of Your Love by Cream starts playing? Yeah. When he's sat in the bar, that. Is to me that is the pinnacle of Robert De Niro's acting career. That is my joint favourite single glance <laughs> because I have such specific, I have such specific categories for things. In fact, it possibly is my favourite, a single glance conveying something about a character, attention yeah. of of all cinema, at the point at which you understand that just from a glance of eyes that he's made a decision now that anyone that that do you know what actually. This isn't worth it. Some of these people risk getting me in trouble. These people that I've spent my life living yeah. with, I'm going to do away with these people. Yeah, and this, that is the terrifying thing. Yeah, because
0: that—that's nobody's expecting that. He's that's Jerry, coming the, out of the Jerry, left the Jet, field. Conway, hes everybody's friend. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and he's, he's no like, different. So everybody's looking out for. In some respects, like, he's no different from Tommy. In fact, worse I think because Tommy's the big loud guy. Robert De Niro in that film—he's the crocodile just under the water. Mm-hmm. You don't know he's there. Yeah, um, you don't expect that danger. So, well, I'm going to come back to some character stuff later, but. One of the things that, I mean, just as a cinephile somebody appreciates the craft of filmmaking, Goodfellas is amazing. But It's so easy to have your head turned simply by the technical proficiency of Goodfellas. Mm. And that's a reason enough to to appreciate and like it in itself. But uh, amongst everything, the lighting, the costumes, the music, the attention to detail and the evocation and replication of the time periods. Of- yeah, the period evocation is unbelievable. Um, who grew up in Italian neighbourhoods in New York City and Long Island and New Jersey and stuff. Like, yep, that's spot on. When they go to the barbecues, like that's what they would do. That's what they'd wear. It's not some pastiche. It's, like, it's really, really <laughs> acutely observed. Mm. And then other technical feats, perhaps the one that really needs to be talked about <laughs> is the very, very famous Steadicam tracking shot mm. as Henry mm. takes Karen into the Copacabana.
1: Still possibly the best.
0: And again, the technical feat, right? The preparation for that scene. Because it's not, we talked about Rope earlier, that while that seems good, people in theatre do that sort of thing every night. But the preparation to get that scene with the movement, yeah. everybody making their cue exactly. Um, there's huge everybody hitting
1: technique. their, a, a restaurant full of people hitting their mark.
0: Yeah. yeah. All the sound cues working perfectly. Everybody in exactly the right place, exactly the right thing. So it's, it's incredible. It's an incredible technical feat. It's superb. But it's not the point. The point is the effect. Yeah. Um, and I think people can get hung up on on that rather than what it's for because you know karen and the viewer are just buffeted and dissed by henry's world you know you see the glamour and then special treatment and he goes through the club this world where people know him and respect him and this is the first time that karen's seeing what henry is even though she doesn't know yet you know a table's almost conjured up um, from thin air people send him drinks it's a glamour but to get there they travel to the underbelly of the restaurant all the backroom business all the gritty dirty stuff and it's just this perfect visual metaphor for the gangster life yeah so it's important to understand that I mean, those technical feats aren't ends in themselves i mean because if it was a lesser director and a lesser film then somebody like scorsese here in goodfellas was absolutely at the top of his game obviously like, um one of the greatest american filmmakers of the 20th century and um, his masterpiece work and so in those lesser hands it would doing it for the sake of this technical proficiency but Scorsese isn't saying look, I can do this is saying, look see if I do this, it makes that better. Mm-hmm. And I know there are people, uh, you say I'm
1: operating at his at, at peak, I know I know people who argue that Raging Bull is his best film and even some people who say King of Comedy and I don't buy it. I've never felt no. anything other than Goodfellas because it has an accessibility not good films, but- oh, un- oh, undeniably and it's as much of a shock that *Raging Bull* didn't win the Oscar for best film that year as it was when *Goodfellas* <laughs> didn't. But for me, I think, all right, maybe from a technical aspect, there are arguments to be made for *Raging Bull*, and I understand when people are coming from from that. But in terms of accessibility and engagement with the audience, yeah. *Goodfellas* is just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's like a league of its own. It's, it's like a beautiful Italian meal, <laughs> with a glass of wine. It's so engaging and so involving and and so intoxicating. It's um. It it just it just does wonderful things despite the nature of some of the subject matter. Yeah,
0: um, I think while we're talking about technical stuff, again, in service of what makes such a captivating, and mm. engrossing film, uh, you've got to talk about *The Machine Maker*. It's an editing masterclass, mm-hmm. and everything just from you've got long takes early on, while we're introduced to the characters and introduced to the life. You've got those incredible scene transitions with the freeze frames and the displaced audio. Yeah. Um, And then eventually, you know, the frenetic edits that mimic this, the paranoia of this cocaine addict's mind as his world falls apart and every single edit is perfect. Because basically everything in in Goodfellas is pretty much perfect.
2: Mm. It's
0: hard to understand how you could improve on any of it because look at the acting, right? You've got Robert De Niro at the top of his game, Joe Pesci at the top of his game, this basic unknown Ray Liotta just being this incredible central character
1: nah, he's never been as good since no, no.
0: then Lorraine Bracco as Karen I mean, it's, it's easy to forget to too a, on the side that, that this is a film it's much about the mafia women as it's about the men oh, yeah. and this bubble they live in so they get to believe that all oh, this is normal yeah. and do
1: you know what the most impressive thing about her performance is actually it would have been very easy for her to have chewed the scenery and gone overboard Yeah. the restraint she shows in her mm-hmm. performance during because there are scenes where there are histrionics, and actually, I in some respects, her performance is probably one of the, is possibly more impressive than others, actually possibly. because of because of the restraint she shows actually. And, and yeah, well, um, well, if you haven't watched it already, there's probably something wrong with you. But you know what I'm talking about, yeah. And
0: it's like again, and he has done it in other films. Joe Pesci in this, he could chew the scenery. Mm. But it's not, there's just enough restraint Because that's what makes him more dangerous too Because you never know when he's yeah, going Yeah, he's never a caricature You yeah. never feel comfortable with that character
1: It would have been easy to overplay that character And actually have it yeah. become, alright he's dangerous But actually it's quite funny Like every parody is, of that scene Isn't yeah. it funny when he blows up? Yeah, I don't know anybody I don't know anybody who does an impression of that scene And has a performance in that scene Myself included, in a comic way yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's never, a, it's never a joke The am I a clown scene sort of thing It's always a thing of yeah, what you know? Damn, how terrifying! Yeah.
0: What an what an impressive so, piece of work so that is. So basically, whenever whenever Joe Pesci's on screen, there's always this tension mm. because he doesn't take it too far. He doesn't become a cartoonish character. Mm. I mean, but, so everybody's like that. Like, even like the minor characters, Again, they're very memorable characters. They just played so well. Everything just seems spot on. The people like Maury or Stax Samuel L. Jackson's character, mm. even Jimmy Two Times.
1: Jimmy Two Times, I'm gonna go get the papers. Get the papers.
0: So, I mean, everybody's just inhabited by people at the top of their game, directed by somebody at the top of their game, edited by somebody at the top of their game, and it's what, all this just comes together to make this most compelling portrait of this horrible, horrible life, but that it's still enticing mm-hmm. in some ways.
1: You still feel like you want to be part of it.
0: Yeah, uh, and again, I mentioned it before, but it just doesn't moralise either. Here's here's the life make of that what you will and you're like well these people are horrible clearly they're horrible i'm not mm-hmm. a monster but some of it looks fun <laughs> <laughs> i'm
1: glad i'm glad i'm i'm glad i'm watching this through a window he doesn't
0: it even have the the characters moralize or even so much regret that there's guilt there in the characters
2: mm-hmm. but
0: you're never quite sure what the guilt was for because I, I do feel i reckon it's open to interpretation but i do feel that when henry's saying all of my life i always wanted as far back as i remember, i wanted to be a gangster that, that there's regret there that's like yeah I made a terrible mistake but sometimes like, especially when he's talking at the end about how he gets to live the rest of his life as a schnook mm-hmm. that his regret there and possibly a reason for guilt is that not that he joined that life but that he doesn't get to live it anymore mm-hmm. that's his regret but that's open to interpretation he's not saying no this is what I think you should think about this mm-hmm. he's saying oh, what do you think the character thinks and leaves that open to you which is refreshing so many things just preach to you mm-hmm. yeah Remarkable, yeah. Yes.
3: I do find it's one of the films that I find harder to watch the older I get. I think it's probably because I'm I'm so used to the ending of it, that the charm, the the kind of enticement into that life is working on me less and less the older I get mm. because I, I know the consequences of all these actions. Right? <laughs> yeah. So it's when when you take away some of the impact at the start of the film, it makes the end of the film a bit less impactful. But it's still you know, clearly a masterwork.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: It's one of those films that people argue about being the best mafia film ever, and I don't think you could ever come to that because the obvious comparison is Godfather. But then again, you can't compare them because they're completely different films. Yeah. They're completely about different. different things, and they're at different levels. than the mafia, yeah. apart from anything else, but it's an argument you could have. It's like mm. which of these two amazing films is the most amazing film?
2: Yeah,
1: mm. and to some degree as well, I was in Donnie Brasco as well as I really in, like this, Donnie Brasco as in this, as in very much the same yeah. sort of league. And in fact, I'm more of a fan of it than I am of the Godfather.
0: Um, yeah, but I think whereas The Godfather was its own thing and Goodfellas is very much its own thing. Mm. Donnie Baskill was a lot to to Goodfellas, so it's why I'm perhaps not considering the same same stratosphere as either of those two, but Mm. um, yeah, it's a very good film too. But as as so many films do, it was a lot to Goodfellas.
1: If you haven't already, read Nick Pelleggi's book Wise Guy, Guy, which along with actually Casino, um, which Casino was based on, are absolutely fascinating and... On a on a part, it's not a case of the film being better than the book again, but there is so much more in the book as well that that fleshes. If you want, yeah, I mean, to, if you want to understand mo- even more about that world,
0: Scorsese and Pellegrin managed to get an awful lot of his book into Goodfellas, but yeah. it's a film. There's a limit to what you can put in. But,
1: absolutely, um, it's, a, it's
0: a fascinating. Yeah, video.
1: absolutely on a par with each other. And uh, if you if you want to, if you, if you are hungry for more, probably better to do that than join the mafia. Yeah. It's like the mafia have given you this. This whole film is like the mafia have given you this opportunity. It's as if for a day they've pulled back the stage curtains and they've gone, okay, here it is. And then at the end of the film, are you sure you want a piece of this? Probably not. Back to your day to day life. Yeah, awesome. So
3: there we go. That's a, a quick rundown of some of our favourite films. There's many, many more that we could have put on here that we haven't. Uh, I'm sure you probably got your own surprises. If you do have something that you particularly want to take issue with us, why not contact us? We'll be on Twitter, Fuds on Film. You can give us our email address, podcast at com. reach out to us, comment on the website, do anything you like, uh, leave a review on iTunes, why not? But until next time, well, uh, we'll be back soon, uh, we're going to have a, probably going to be starting off with a rundown of Clint Eastwood's career. Yes, uh, and his progression from
0: actor to director. Based
1: on a morbid concept and a dream that I had recently. <laughs>
3: So, I hope you look forward to that. It should be with you fairly soon. But until then, I have been Scott Morris. And join me again, Greg Eastman. Fairly well. And Drew Tavendale. Goodbye. Catch yous on the flip side.